Well, thank you for being here for this final lesson in this series called The Race that was inspired by my first and maybe only marathon that I ran last <laughs> November in Richmond, Virginia. Some have been asking about my next series. I've loved wearing jogging clothes as I preach. I, I want to do a series on biking, but I don't think you want to see me in spandex. <laughs> so maybe we'll come up with something else. But I do think there are a lot of parallels. There's a reason the New Testament authors chose a race to often talk about discipleship. Even if you're not an athlete, we can all relate to the idea of making progress, of reaching a destination that we really want to reach. And there are so many great illustrations in the sport of running. Like, for example, this one from a woman named Amber Miller. You see her picture there. This is last October at the Chicago Marathon. Now, she had just run a marathon in May, a few months earlier, and she ran in about four and a half hours. But last October, it took her six and a half hours to finish her marathon. But there might have been a pretty good reason, because as soon as she left the marathon, she went to the hospital and gave birth to her baby girl. She went into labor just as she finished, and they had a baby. Two years earlier, she... Uh, ran a marathon, and soon after gave birth to a little boy. So I'm thinking if I'm her husband, honey, I love the fact that you like to run, but if you don't stop, we're going to have to get a bigger house. You might question her judgment for starting the race, but you can't doubt her will to finish. And that's a good word for us because we are a culture that needs to learn to add some finish. We are disturbed by the growing numbers of students we hear that just drop out of school. In fact, I'll be honest right now, the NCAA basketball playoffs are going on. I've lost some interest over the years in that sport for this simple reason. I don't care who wins. Whoever wins, the star of the team is not going to finish school. He's just using college as a platform to go do something else. We're not watching college athletes anymore. They have no plan to finish. We see it in the marketplace. Those of you that own businesses know that almost every business scandal has at its foundation the reality that somebody wanted to take a shortcut, that they didn't want to stick in for the long haul and do things right. Maybe the way we see it most is in relationships. According to research, most high schoolers today say, I don't know if I want to get married But if I do get married, I probably won't stay married. It's one reason why cohabitation has increased and more and more singles are putting off marriage. Because they reason, why start something that probably isn't going to last? We have become a culture of quitters. William Barclay said in one of his commentaries, there was a well-known man in England that was offered a large sum of money by different publishers to write his autobiography, and he kept refusing. He said, after I'm dead, you can write my biography. And they said, yes, but then you won't get all the money for the book. And he said, no, I don't want my story written until I've passed because I've seen too many men fall out on the last lap. And so have we. The reality is, some of my spiritual heroes, when I began my ministry, 
have dropped out of the race. You see, when someone becomes a Christian, we tend to give them a lot of coaching about how to start following Jesus. But we need to give some coaching on how to end the race too. Because the fact is, not everyone who starts the race will finish. And Jesus knew this. He was very upfront to people that were following him about the fact that following Jesus is a long hard course. He said one time, what would you think of a man that went to start a building and he didn't have the funds to finish? Or a general that took his troops into war and he didn't have the resources to end the battle. So why are you going to follow me if you're not going to finish? You see, the New Testament is so honest that The path of discipleship is not some easy downhill course. You've heard me say before, to follow Jesus is to go upstream in a downstream world. And those are Paul's thoughts. We're going to spend some time this morning in chapters 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy. He has gone to Nero. And Nero has done this. And Paul knows... He's about to be executed. He wrote from prison once before in Philippians and said, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. But when he writes 2 Timothy, he knows. He is about to die. And so he writes his son in the faith and he gives him some advice. And one of the first things he says to him is, don't think that running the race in this world is going to be easy. Because you're going upstream, and he describes the downstream crowd starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. This is the world we run in. And it's exhausting to run in a world where most people are godless and most religion is powerless. It is strenuous to run upstream. It's also dangerous. In fact, in verse 12 of the same chapter, he'll say, Everyone who wants to live a godly life... In Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You pay a price to run this race. And so the great need in the Christian race is not speed. It is endurance. More important than a naive optimism that a lot of runners have when they start a race. Is a militant determination not to give up and finish the race. Some people have it. Some people don't. See, Paul knew all about quitters. In chapter 4, he says in verse 9 and 10, Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas said, I don't want to run this race anymore. I want to go run the other race. In verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. 
may it not be held against them. There are few things more deflating than to watch somebody drop out of the race. But there are few things more inspiring than to watch someone finish strong. Someone sent me an article a few weeks before my marathon to inspire me. And in the article, there was this picture of this man named Faja Singh. Now, he has just finished the Toronto Marathon. He's 100 years old. The oldest to ever run a marathon. It took him eight and a half hours. I smoked him. (laughs) But there's just something inspiring about somebody that keeps running. See, Paul knows he only has a few more laps to run. And he can only share a few more words to his son in the faith. And so you read chapter 3 and 4 through the lens of a runner who's about to finish his race. And five times Paul is going to use the word endure or continue. He's going to talk about patience. He's going to talk about endurance. Look, for example, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. He's saying, Timothy, run the race all the way to the end. Do everything God has called you to do. Use all of your gifts. Discharge all of your duties. Finish strong. Because have you ever noticed, if you like to watch Sports Center or you like to watch the news and when, watch when the sports highlights come on, no sportscaster ever shows you the clip of just the start of a race. No sportscaster ever shows you a few seconds of a start of a race and then says, now in basketball. Because you're going, wait, wait, wait. How did the race end? That's what we want to know. I want to show you now a film clip of what I think was the greatest finish in sports history. We had the actual footage of the event, but it was kind of grainy and hard to understand. So what you're going to watch is a film adaptation of what I think was the greatest finish of a race in sports. See the screen. The year was 1973. Secretary had already won the Kentucky Derby, had already won the Preakness. The Belmont was a mile and a half on dirt. That horse ran it in two minutes and 24 seconds. 
He averaged 37 and a half miles. The reason you don't see any other horses in the picture is because the closest horse was 31 lengths behind. Now, here's the amazing thing. Every quarter that horse ran was faster than the one before. That horse was running faster the last quarter than any other part of the race, even though the race was completely over. It only knew one way to finish, and that was hard as it could go. Trainers say if that horse had run a few hundred more yards, its heart would have exploded. Now, that is how Paul plans to finish his race, going as hard as he can. No coasting to the finish line when you follow Christ. And so one of the last things he's going to do is remind his son of his own race. We stand on holy ground when we read these words. Chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you realize that Paul could have lived longer if he had been a quitter? But he couldn't have lived better. You only get to run one race. So you'll want to choose a race that really matters. And you want to finish strong. And so the last thing he does as he finishes his race is teach his son how to run well too. Three pieces of advice. One, he's going to remind Timothy that coaching really matters. I learned that a good runner will teach you more about running than watching videos and reading books can do. This is one reason the scripture places so much value on older believers. Now, in most arenas of the world, People that get older become worthless. But in the church, people that have been around the track a lot become worth more because they become coaches. We run where others have gone. And so one thing he does is remind Timothy of his own race to coach him. He says in chapter 3, 10 and 11, you, however, know all about my teaching My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He says, Timothy, you saw my race. You even ran a few times around the track with me. You know what it takes. You saw how I ran. We are so blessed at this church. To have some people that candidly are making their last few laps around the track. 
And they've run well. And you need to plug into the lives of these people. Because in the church, we value people who've been running well a long time. We also value the home. He said in chapter 3, 14 and 15, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother. They were teaching him the Scriptures since he was a baby. They were his first coaches. It matters in the home. That's where you start to learn how to run. I hope all of you had parents that taught you how to run. But if you didn't, find some other coaches because God's made them available to us in the church. If you've been around the track a few times, you have an obligation to coach some younger runners. In fact, you either need to be getting some coaching or you need to be doing some coaching. Some of us need to do both. Because I have learned that people quit listening before they quit running. Coaching matters. So does community. In fact, one of the biggest takeaways I learned from my training for a marathon is how important it is to choose wisely the people to help you reach your goal. I trained a lot with Chris Hatchett, and I want you to watch a video clip after one of our hot August runs, what we had to say. Uh, well, we're through with the run, and I just wanted to say quick, one thing that we've learned is that uh, it's a whole lot easier to run if you're running with somebody else. Uh, it's just too hard to do by yourself. You've got to have someone that encourages you, somebody keeps you accountable. Somebody sometimes that can just take your mind off all the reasons why you want to quit. Uh, there's no way I could have done this without Chris. Uh, not just his company, but he was the guy that carried all the water and had the watch that told us uh, how far we were going. Uh, got anything to add to that? Well, there's days when you wouldn't get up if you didn't know somebody else was going to be waiting on you if you weren't here. Then there's a lot of times maybe I was motivated to get here, but if Rick wouldn't have pushed me once we got here, I would have started walking or quit. So it's just, you can't do it by yourself. No way. Well, not only that, but there's just something cool about sharing the goal, uh, about uh, knowing that when you win a prize, you're not the only one that's winning it. So uh, that's one thing we've learned. There's power in community, whether you're running or doing anything worthwhile, do it with somebody else. A runner will make few decisions more important than this one. Who are you going to run with? I'm about to lay something really deep on you. You ready? You'll wind up in the same place as the people you run with. Wasn't that profound? Isn't that true? Everybody's running, Jesus says. Everybody's seeking something, but we're not all running the same race. You are going to wind up in the same place as the people you choose to run with. That's why Paul's advice to Timothy was so strong. Remember that long list of people that are going the wrong way? They're running the wrong race. And what's the last thing Paul said in verse 5? He said, Timothy, stay away from people like that. 
Now, he doesn't mean that we withdraw from the world. We engage the world. What he means is we don't start running their race. We run the race God has set out for us, the discipleship race. It is long, but it doesn't have to be lonely. Because Paul says, I'm not the only one running this race. There's a lot of us longing for the appearing of Jesus. Choose well who you're going to run with. I used to wonder when I was a younger why people would drop out. And usually they would say, yeah, but my life experiences have been so difficult and so hard. And I understand that. But, you know, I've been preaching now for 33 years and I've been around the world. And I've seen many Christians who every single day deal with more obstacles than I have dealt with in most of my life. And they're still running. And here's what I've learned. It's community that keeps people on the course. You didn't find Jesus all by yourself. And you're not going to finish in Jesus that way either. Coaching matters. Community matters. And finally, so does consumption. I had no idea when I started training how important it would be to watch my diet. That poor nourishment never results in great accomplishment. You may have heard the runner's phrase, hitting the wall. That's a real thing. That's not in someone's mind. Your glycogen stores in your body are going to be depleted after about three hours of anything really strenuous. And if you don't renew them, you will hit the wall. I did in my marathon around mile 17. We had a plan. I thought it was a good plan. I took my little packet of goo before I started the race. There were places at mile 7 and at mile 13 where you could meet people. And I was supposed to meet Jamie at mile 7 and mile 13. And she would have more glue to replenish me. Well, the problem was they had cut off so many roads because of the race that it upset traffic. She couldn't get there. I got to mile 7 before the car did. There was no goo. I got to mile 13. She couldn't get there. There was no goo. Now, I am really starting to struggle. I remember there was a lady somewhere around mile 14, 15. She had some fruit, and she was passing it out. And as I ran by, she put five red grapes in my hand. These were the greatest grapes (laughs) in the history of grapedom. I cannot tell you how much they did for me. Now, here's the thing. Along the way, they also had junk food. This race is famous for having pizza and powdered donuts. But you know what? I knew that's not what I needed. Even though I was hurting, even though I felt empty. You see, you can't feast on junk food and run a good race. You need a good diet. And so isn't it interesting that one of the very last things Paul reminds Timothy of in chapter 3 is this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, he says, don't ever stop nourishing yourself with the truth of God. 
Don't get seduced by the fare of the world. Because you know what I've learned? Whether you're in the starting line of a big race or whether you're at a church on Sunday morning. It's easier to look fit than it is to be fit. But the race will expose you. The race will eventually prove who are the runners and who are the pretenders. So stop pretending that you can just gorge on the fare of the world and never feast on the truth of God and run a good race. My freshman year at Abilene Christian University, back then it was required that every freshman take a series of physical education courses, and one of them was called conditioning. For six weeks, we would have to go and lift weights and do other exercises, and one of them included a mile and a half run. Now, to this point in my life, I'd never run that far in my life, and I was not looking forward to the dreaded mile and a half run. Well, it was a day that was very windy. This can happen in West Texas. And the word got across campus that they had canceled the run. It was too windy. My PE course was at noon. Usually I would go to PE and then afterwards I would go and have lunch. But this particular day, I thought, well, I'll just go to lunch early. And I went to what we called our cafeteria. We called it the bean. And I ate a lot of very unhealthy bean food. And I walked into my 12 o'clock PE class and the teacher comes out and says, well, no one's had to run today, but I think the wind has died down. I want you to go run. So there I am. I'm having to run a mile and a half, my stomach full of very unhealthy bean food. And I'll tell you the first lap I started cramping and it was windy and it was dusty and I'm not a runner. And to make it worse, there was someone in my class that was on the recent national championship track team. On mile three, he lapped us. You talk about discouraging. They shouldn't put track people in classes with normal people. (laughs) I even remember a couple of the guys quit. They just walked off the track. But then I heard the coach say these wonderful words. Boys, you don't have to run as fast as him. You just have to finish to pass and I sucked it up and I finished in fact I think I finished second in my class I got the same grade as the track star and it's true with the people of God see not everyone that starts is going to finish but everyone who finishes the race wins When I crossed that line in four hours and 22 minutes in Richmond, I was certainly not in the top group of runners. But you know what they did? They gave me this medal to wear just like everyone that was ahead of me got. Just like everyone that finished after me got. If you finished, you got the prize. There's no limit to how many people can win the Christian race. Paul went before one judge. 
And he did like that. But notice he says, but when I cross the finish line, the righteous judge is going to give me a crown. The only judge that really matters, the judge who is going to overturn the verdict of all the earthly judges, he's going to give me a crown. And not just to me, but to everyone else who finishes. But you don't get a crown for almost finishing. And so I close with one of my favorite running stories. His name was John Stephen Aquari. It was the Olympics in 1968 in Mexico City. He was a marathoner from Tanzania, a very accomplished runner. He's trained all his life for this big moment. And in the course of the race, he takes a very, very bad fall. His leg is wounded. It's crudely bandaged. The race is over. The stands are almost empty. When the people hear a siren, and here comes a police car, and here comes John Stephen Akwari. An hour after all the others, limping and bleeding, but determined to cross that line. And when they asked him later, why? He said, because my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. And Paul had an advantage. He knew it was his last lap. And some of us will too. But a lot of us, we won't know we're running our last lap when, in fact, we are. And that's why I want to run every day. Like I'm running the only race that matters. So that whenever that last lap comes, they will say, He finished strong. Let's pray. Oh God, I, I pray now for every single person hearing this word. I don't know where they are in the race. I suspect some have just started. And some are almost through. And some know they're almost through. And some don't. I suspect some are on the side. They can't decide if they're just resting or quitting. But I pray for every heart that the Holy Spirit will renew, recharge, refuel, inspire to take one more step, to go one more mile, climb one more hill, to wear the jersey with Jesus' name on the back and wear it well. We want to run the race. We want to finish strong. We want that crown. 
I want everybody here to get that crown. Maybe I'll be there at the finish line with my crown waiting for them to get theirs. Or maybe they'll get there before me. But I want us all to get the crown. And, and God, we'll take the crowns off. We'll throw them at the feet of Jesus because it's really all about him. But I want everybody here to have the joy of finishing and getting the crown. And so, God, keep us running all the way to the end. For Jesus' glory, amen. So we're going to sing. And as we sing, it's a chance for you to join the race, to come, confess Christ, be baptized. It's a chance for you to be recharged and renewed. I'd like you all to stand. I'd like the prayer team to come down to the front because you might need for someone just to help encourage you right now to keep going because it's been a hard race. Prayer team's going to be down here. You can come for prayer. You can come to be baptized. We're going to worship. We're going to finish strong.